It has been said that Christianity can be summed up in one word, relationships. Today, we look at the relationships that make up the church and some of the problems that we have with them. Welcome to Run With Horses. My name is Norman, and my goal is to help you thrive as a disciple of Jesus. You have a lot of choices that you make every day, so thanks for including me in your journey of following Jesus. Well, you know, recently, I have been thinking about this whole idea of the church and relationships and and all of those things that go into the church and all those relationships. It seems on a regular basis now you see information about church relationships that are broken. Are you seeing the news where there's another uh, leader that is being accused of something? And it seems like it's every week that there is something wrong with the church, that something comes out. And I know, realistically, we look at the churches in America, and there are tens of thousands of churches, and only a small percentage are having these problems. But it comes to the front of the news, and it certainly makes Jesus look bad. It makes his, his church look bad. So we don't ever want to see that. But when we see churches, pastors, leaders, church members behaving badly, you know, a lot of it is because we struggle to get along with each other and to act with each other, to live with each other as Jesus did, as Jesus intends for us to. So I would say that it's really at its core, it is a a matter of spiritual growth and spiritual maturity. And the issue is that we have a sin nature, Sorry that that's true. It, it absolutely is true that the flesh fights against the spirit. Uh, temptation is real. There is a real enemy who wants to drag down uh, the church, who wants to drag down each believer who is seeking to honor him. And it, it is a very real battle. And a lot of people are taken out of ministry, out of this battle by the enemy. Well, The result is, instead of the church being what it's supposed to be, which is the beautiful bride of Christ, it really is this soiled mess that really looks almost identical to the world. And that's sad because so many people in the world do expect the church to look different, to act different, to be different. And then they're either surprised or disappointed or sometimes overjoyed when the church is not any different than the world. Well, it's clear, very, very clear, that our relationships don't look like what God intended for them to look like. And the problem really goes back, the root of it goes back to the primary relationship that we have. And that's our relationship with God himself. It's an amazing relationship because our relationship with God is only possible because of God, because He chose us, because Jesus came to this earth, went to the cross, died, went to the grave, and came out of it, that we have the option, the the possibility of a relationship with God. So this blood of Jesus applied to our lives removes our sin, provides us with the righteousness of Jesus himself. And it is only from that standpoint, from that position, sinners saved by grace, 
possessing the righteousness of Jesus, that from that position, we can have a relationship with God. It is God's work, done God's way, and it doesn't rely on us. Uh, it doesn't depend on us. It's not our, our ability, our, our goodness. And the thing is, and this is what we struggle with and why this is such an issue in the church and out of the church and for the world, is that we're not instantly changed to be like Jesus. When you, through faith, accept the grace of God in your life and accept that free gift of salvation that's offered through Jesus, you don't instantly become like him. Your, your mind is not instantly changed. Your heart is not instantly emptied of all the selfishness and the, the evil desires and the flesh is not instantly removed. You don't have your new body right away. All that's not what we'd like. We would like to see an instant change. But God, in his sovereignty, in his wisdom, has us go through this process of sanctification that takes a lifetime. And he does this work in us. So we receive this undeserved gift, and we should have just instantly a heart that's overflowing with thanksgiving, but yet we still kind of like, well, I wanted a little more. <laughs> it's like we're very natural to complain. We're very quick to find fault, even with God. <laughs> And even when he has done all the work to draw us to him and to give us this offering of, of salvation and grace, we find fault. We complain. And, it, you know, it really is. If you go back and look at the story of the children of Israel, it is really the story of every man. If you can't imagine being rescued from this cruel slavery as the children of Israel were, and they're released, and they're not just released, I'll go on your way. They are gifted. They really plunder Egypt, and, and they have all of this wealth that goes with them. And that was God's doing. God released them. They didn't have to fight for it. Uh, they only had to be obedient to God, and he gave them this victory. And yet when they cross the Jordan and get out, and, and they're wandering, and very quickly, instead of recognizing that, wow, this God who saved us is pretty powerful. Maybe we could just go to him and ask him for what we need, and he would give it. You would think that would be a reasonable, a reasonable thing to come up with. God has done all of these miracles in getting them out of Egypt. So when they're hungry, when they have need, rather than go and, and blame Moses and, and just complain, you think, hey, boy, this God's pretty powerful. He seems to have a good handle on things. I'm sure he has a plan. Let's just go and ask him. Say, what do we need to do? I, that seems perfectly reasonable for us looking back. But they are very, we're very much like we are today. God has graciously blessed us in so many ways. And our first instinct is often to complain rather than have a heart of thanksgiving that God has done so much already and uh, God, I want to go to you because obviously you are the source of all good things. I, I want to find a reason to complain. Uh, I want to find a reason. I, I'm just going to do it myself. Uh, the thankful heart lifts up the name of Jesus and praises God from whom all blessings flow and, and really quickly recognizing him as the source. But our hearts are not naturally uh, thankful. They are naturally hearts of stone and, and really resistant to God's grace and mercy in our life. Worship 
is really a natural outflow of that heart that is thankful, that recognizes, boy, God has been good. God has been so good. I haven't deserved it, but God has been good. A heart that is really tuned to God glorifies Him through heartfelt thanksgiving, which results in obedience and a pursuit of holiness. God said, be holy for I am holy. The heart that is thankful desires to be holy because God is holy. I want to be like Him. He has been such a blessing to me. He has uh, done so much for me. I want to pursue Him. I want to know Him more. We long to be like Him when we see Him as He is. Our problem often in this first primary relationship is that we see God as we have remade Him in our hearts. And we've remade Him in our image where uh, God is selfish and, and God is petty uh, and, and God has motives that are not always honest and we can't quite figure them out. We have remade God in our image. But when we see God as He is, we approach Him in a different way. So the heart that is in tune with God, that is really pursuing the righteousness of God, is seeking His holiness, is filled with peace and joy that cannot be explained outside the work of Jesus. That heart recognizes that everything we have comes from God. God has done pretty good in, in doing things in history so far. I trust Him. I am going to relinquish uh, control of my life to Him, and I, I'm going to seek Him with all that I have. It's incredibly calming to know that God's in control. God's got this, but we, we struggle with that. Even though God has proven it, He proved it with the children of Israel as He led them out of Egypt. He said, hey, I've got this. It doesn't matter what comes up. I, I can handle it. The armies of Egypt, Pharaoh has changed his mind. He's coming after you. Don't worry. Just do what I say. I've, I've got this. You don't have to lift a finger. But you have to kind of know Him. You have to trust Him. You have to really understand His grace as well as His patience and long-suffering uh, with us. And it's true that we often just, we don't know Him well enough. A true relationship with God really requires us to know Him, not just know about Him. And that's the problem. We know a lot about God. I mean, we, we know a lot about God. We, we have heard about God uh, time and time again throughout uh, just years, if you've grown up in the church, years of, of sermons, you, you learn all about God and you have an idea of, of who He is and what he's, what he's doing. But that's different than knowing God. So Paul challenges Timothy, and this is one of the things I, I really love, that relationship with, between Paul and Timothy. And I, I go back to it all the time because I want to be a disciple maker, which means first I need to be like Timothy. I need to learn. I need to be pursuing uh, the things that will help me to learn, but then I want to grow, and I, eventually I want to be more like Paul. So I look at Paul and Timothy's relationship as a special one where Paul is sharing with Timothy all that he has learned, not just about God, but that he's learned uh, from God. He shares his relationship with Timothy. He shares his relationship with God. Uh, and he invites Timothy to have the same kind of relationship that he has. So he challenges Timothy to pursue godliness and righteousness. 
And this is part of how we learn to really know God. We're invited to pursue God in all his glory. He invites us into his presence. Uh, that's hugely important. You know, the, the power of what God has done is we see that image as the temple veil was torn. And the average person, not just a priest, not someone who has gone through all the rituals and has been ritually cleaned, but you, me, we have been invited to come into the presence of God himself because Jesus gave us his righteousness. He invited us to come in with him into the presence of God. So a genuine relationship with God changes us in so many ways. One of the most important ways is with our relationship with other people. So our foundation is our relationship with God. It, it is in that relationship that we learn what love is, that we learn what forgiveness is. We have those perfectly modeled. We have perfect love, perfect forgiveness. We learn what patience is and long-suffering. All of these things that are characteristics of God and who He is, as we get to know Him, we understand those characteristics better, and we also understand how important they are in relationships. As I approach God and I recognize, man, if God was not loving and kind and gracious and merciful and long-suffering and patient with me, I wouldn't have a relationship with Him because I'm certainly not bringing anything to the table, and He has to wait on me. He has to be patient with me. Uh, he has to give me His grace because I, I bring nothing to this relationship of value. As we learn that and we see how much God has done for us, that real relationship with God changes us from the heart out. And it changes our relationship with God's family. So the church, and we keep coming back to the church, like our relationship with God himself, that relationship with the church is only possible. It's only going to be healthy if it is anchored in Christ. The problem is that the church is made up of a lot of people just like me, meaning that they're, they're sinners, they're selfish, they tend to pursue their own desires, they tend to be distracted by meaningless things and things that are not important. But the church is a special group of people who are united by this special bond, which makes all of those things worth working through. It's worth working through the difficulties that we face. It's worth working through the trials that come because we have a special relationship. We have a special God. And our relationship is part of what honors Him and glorifies Him. And it's also in this relationship that He changes us and prepares us for eternity. This special bond in the power of the Holy Spirit doesn't, unfortunately, prevent us from sinning against each other. And wouldn't that be awesome if it did? It would be great if God just removed our ability to sin when he saved us, but he doesn't do that. We are still perfectly capable of it inside and outside of the church. We are still selfish. We're still following our own desires. We still we're changed. We're, we're now have, we possess the righteousness of God in our position, but we're still acting very much the same because that process of sanctification is not complete. And it's through that, that process that we eventually are removed from the presence of sin, but that's not until uh, this life is over. So in the meantime, we're struggling with this relationship with God's family, the church. 
So this is a relationship that should be marked by a deep and abiding love. But it is, it is severely tested over and over by our own selfishness, by our own desires in pursuit of what we believe would make us happy. You know, really, that's what most of us are looking for. We want to be happy, and we think we know what that is, so we pursue things that we think would make us happy. And the whole marketing industry is built around this idea that if you can convince somebody that this thing that you're selling will make them happy, even just for a, a moment, they'll buy it because everyone wants to be happy. You want to have the best bowl of cereal possible. So you look at those uh, cereal commercials and, oh, well, that one looks really good. And the person eating it obviously has a great life. It's better than mine. So I, I want to buy that cereal. Everything is that same idea. We're looking for things that will make us happy and driving our wants and feeding our desires. And the more we do that, then the more we desire. We become much more attuned to our desires, which is the exact opposite of what God is trying to do. The Holy Spirit is trying to work in us and not make us more attuned to our desires, but to make us more attuned to God and His desires. So we have a list of things that we consider our needs and God knows what we actually need, and what we really need is Him. So the world then looks at the church and sees this relationship and sees this group of people, and many of them still, even though the world is becoming less and less familiar with the church and with God, with, with God's Word, many people still look at the church and expect to see a special kindness and grace that is missing in their own lives. And instead of seeing that, what they see is a mess that looks a lot like the one that they're in. <laughs> Why is it this way? Well, in part, many in the church, most in the church, all of us in the church, struggle to know God personally. We live in this world and we just accept so many of the values of the world. We accept that this is how you should live your life. These are the things that you should pursue. And as we do that, then the world comes along and feeds that desire, and we become more sensitive to it, which leads us away from God. Instead of saying, this world is short, the value in this world really comes from knowing Christ and being part of His mission of reconciliation with the world. I embrace that fully and I'm going to pursue that with every ounce of energy that I have. I'm going to become more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. But we don't do that. On the whole, we look at this world and we pursue the same things that our neighbors pursue. We watch the same car commercials and value cars the exact same way. We look at houses and value houses the exact same way. We look at our time and value our time the exact same way. How am I going to spend it? Well, what's going to make me happy? So we struggle. And in the church, when we do take part in this church body, in this gathering, we have weekly sermons and we have Sunday school classes and we have all these books which gives us information in abundance. We have plenty of information about God, but a genuine relationship with the true and living God is a lot more difficult for us to find. And so we take that struggle to the world. We have the struggle with our relationship with God. We don't know Him that well. We have the, str the struggle with our relationship 
with the church. And then we struggle with our relationship with the world. Rather than this relationship being marked by grace and truth and a desire to see everyone be reconciled with Jesus and come to have the same relationship that we do and have that potential for eternal joy and peace and have the peace now that passes understanding that's not attached to our situation. Instead, that relationship with the world is tainted by our sin. And it's made more difficult because we struggle to see God as He is and we struggle to see His hand at work in the world. And we really struggle to be His hands at work in the world. So rather than us being the bringers of grace and truth to the world and seeing people change into his image, we go to the world and take on the characteristics of the world. Rather than taking on the characteristics of our Savior and then taking his love to the world. So the question is, how do we change that? How do we go from the church that's continually marked by scandal and, and people who are selfishly pursuing things that are not God to the church that God intends for us to be? Well, it's, it's not easy, <laughs> but it starts back where it went wrong. We have to pursue God. And part of that is releasing control of our life to God. He bought you with a price. So one of the questions we have to ask is, what does it mean to live his life? If you aren't wrestling with that question, you might not be living the life God intends. But it's not easy. God isn't making cookies, so there's no cookie-cutter approach to following Jesus. My guess is Peter and Matthew were vastly different in their personalities. They were way different in their gifts and in their ministry. They were different people. God worked in them differently, and God worked through them differently. Well, you and I will be different too. We have different gifts. We come from different backgrounds. We have different struggles. My weaknesses are not your weaknesses. Your weaknesses are not necessarily my weaknesses. We will be different. But we each have to come to the same place where we say, God, I pursue you. I I want to know you and I'm giving you absolute control of my life. Until we do that, we really don't have the foundation for any of our other relationships to be healthy. We don't really have the foundation for our spiritual life and our spiritual growth to be healthy. You know, we should be growing throughout our spiritual life in the way that we grow throughout our physical life. When you're born, you're born as an infant. That means you're ignorant and somebody else takes care of you. <laughs> and most of us, when you're, when you're starting your spiritual life, when you place your faith in Christ, unless you grew up in a church and got saved later and you happen to already have a lot of information, a lot of people, when they're first develop this relationship with Jesus and they first place their faith in, him, and their faith in Him, they're ignorant. They don't really know what the Bible teaches because they haven't read it. They don't have this relationship with Him. They don't know what they need. So much like that infant, we need care. We need the care of the church. We need the care of the Holy Spirit. God's perfectly capable of doing His part. But we don't stay infants. We grow and should become spiritual children. And much like a child in the home, maybe they can't cook supper, but if you put supper on their plate, they can eat it. Well, as a spiritual child, maybe you can't take the Bible 
and figure everything out on your own, but you can certainly take things that other people have prepared for you, and you should be able to digest those. You should be able to take a prepared Bible study. You should be able to take that sermon and begin to take that and apply it to your own heart and life. But you don't want to stay even a child. And unfortunately, I think easily 70, 80 percent of the people in our churches are spiritual infants or children. It's frightening how many people have been in church for years and have never read the Bible. They've read parts of it or mostly hear sermons. Their Bible sits on a shelf all week. Uh, and they might open it and read their Sunday school lesson on a Sunday morning real quick before they go to church. <laughs> okay, that's not leading us to maturity. But we want to go from that spiritual child to the spiritual young adult. The spiritual young adult and the child, how are they different? Well, the child is really selfish and requires still a lot of help to pick out their clothes, to buy their clothes. They're not capable of doing a lot of things that generate what they need for their own life yet. The spiritual young adult is they're able to be independent. And this is where we cross a line between we, we rely absolutely upon the pastor and the church and uh, devotionals and things that other people have prepared. We cross a line over to, I have the Holy Spirit, I have God's Word, and I can learn and grow myself. I'm able to, to find the meat there and to live it out. That's a big difference from the spiritual child. And so we have some of these. And I think this is where a lot of that 10 to 20% of people in churches who are actively serving, I think a lot of, a lot of them are in this category where they're, they're spiritual young adults. They're able to do a lot of these things. And they serve, but they also they serve kind of selfishly. They want to serve in the way that they want to serve, in their gift and things that make them comfortable. And not that that's bad. We need people to do, to do all those things. But that's not the end of the road you know, you start as an infant, a child, spiritual young adult is still primarily self-centered. They might not be as selfish as a spiritual child, but they're still primarily living for themselves. They don't have to do what a married couple has to do and have children and sacrifice for somebody else because it's just them. But you want to go from a spiritual child to a spiritual parent, and the spiritual parent begins to take responsibility for other people. They do sacrifice. They're willing to, to give, even in situations where they don't get anything in return. And we need to expect that in our own life. And part of how we do that is pursue Jesus, to really get to know Him, to pursue Him with our heart, soul, path, uh, pa- uh, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And this is the path to righteousness. This is the path to godliness and to holiness, to really know Jesus, not just know about Him. Are you wrestling with how to know him better? Well, you should be. It is one of life's greatest joys and one of life's greatest journeys that you can take. And as we are releasing control of our life and we're pursuing Jesus, then one of the things we have to be developing is this humility of Jesus, which asks us to consider others better than ourselves. We're asked to submit to one another. Are you wrestling with how to do that in your home, in your church, in your community, in your work? You should be. It does not come naturally for us. But these three things are key if we're going to see the church become what it can be, to to release control of our life to God, to pursue Jesus with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to humbly approach others and consider their spiritual life and their growth. So I'll stop at these three today. They're all huge if you take them seriously. take a lot of effort to really apply. God called us to live a meaningful life. Pursue Him with all you have. 
Thanks for joining me. Write me at norman at runwithhorses.net if you have any questions or comments. I'd love to hear from you. My prayer, prayer is that you reflect the glory of God and never stop running. Have a great day.